comes another edition of Talking Football Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're just trying to keep up with all the content, basically. We get a lot of top teams in action, some against each other, some preparing for big Champions League matches, and, uh, you know... We might get around to the fact that my team won for the first time in what feels like forever, but maybe not. We also have a wonderful guest coming up. It is Marie Schulte. Welcome. Welcome back. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, it feels odd on this Sunday to talk about football or at least the European version of football. Even in Munich, everyone's talking about the NFL and the Super Bowl, but I'm glad that we are finding some time to focus on our favorite sport. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, I'll, I'll, I will watch the Super Bowl, but I think <laughs> the feeling that I got earlier today from a, a hair to win is probably not going to be matched by anything at the Super Bowl. Although, Rihanna, I'm, I'm up for. What's your plan for the Super Bowl, by the way? Now, now that I understand everyone in, in Germany is gaga for the NFL. Yeah. So, I mean, we keep hearing about this. You know, there was the Munich game. I remember that day last fall, and it was amazing. I was on the train to see some family members, and everyone on the train was, you know, international. It felt like Oktoberfest. Everyone was so hyped. So many people were in town for that. Um, so there's definitely a huge wave of enthusiasm for the NFL in Germany and in Munich in particular. I'm going to a bar for like an all-night evening. It's kind of like $35 pay. You get all the drinks, all the food. And, you know, it's very sweet. Having lived in America to see like American culture being promoted in Germany because it's like at halftime, there will be brownies and hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, at halftime, it's going to be like, what, two or three in the morning or something? Probably, yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll see how long I last. But I know at, at the very least, of course, I have to be there for the Rihanna concert, which for me is the the Super Bowl for me is mainly about Rihanna and just hanging out with friends, I guess. <laughs> dynamite, dynamite. I hope you don't uh, shout and scream too much. You sound a little, a little scratchy today. Yeah, yeah. I went skiing last weekend and... Um, there was some karaoke singing. There was a lot of chatting and a lot of fun. And um, I also waitress on the side now at an Irish bar here in Munich, which is a lot of fun, but kind of hard work as well with, you know, long shifts and talking to a lot of international people. And uh, I think my voice has just been a bit strained, but I'm, I'm otherwise in very good health. So nothing to complain about. <laughs> oh, yes. I've, I've spent plenty of time in Irish bars in Germany, and they are a good time, but tend to be a little raucous, let's just say. <laughs> All right, we will be right back with the best and the rest of Match Day 20. In the meantime, please do subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a five-star rating if you really like us, and if you really, really like us, maybe support us on Patreon. You'll find us, patreon.com slash talkingfoosball. It really helps us keep the show going. Okay, here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 20. If you've been listening across the season, especially in recent weeks when things have tightened up, we have been banging on about this title race we have here in the Bundesliga. And I, I've got to be honest with you, we're going to keep doing that as long as we possibly can. This is the Bundesliga, and it's a lot better for it when there is a live title race. Duh. So we're going to zoom in on first, I guess, the, the two teams who notched wins in that title race ahead of some big midweek Champions League fixtures, FC Bayern München and Borussia Dortmund. So first off, the team 
down where you are, Marie. Bayern, they got the job done at home to foul for Bochum. They uh, continued their free-scoring ways this week. They've, you know, scored four, four, and now three in their last three competitive matches. Looked a lot more solid in defense than they did last week in Wolfsburg. How is the mood in Munich surrounding Bayern at this stage of the season? Things were going sour in the early going of 2023, but it's got to be a little bit better now, huh? No, actually. I think the mood is really poor. You know, people here are used to champagne football and, you know, the players being happy and proud. And there's been so much turmoil recently with Manuel Neuer um, and the interviews he gave to The Athletic and to Süddeutsche that were not approved by uh, the club. And in Germany, there's this very bizarre um, process, you know, of when you conduct a print interview, and I know this from the journalist perspective, you organize it through the club. So you, you know, you mail the club, you phone the club and you organize an appointment basically to meet a player, whether over Zoom or in person. And most of the time, a press officer is there either on the Zoom call or literally sitting next to the player, kind of babysitting them. Oh, yes, they and, are. <laughs> and then after, and this was for me was insane because obviously I, I also was a journalist in America. And when I told my professors this there or my editors they were in absolute disbelief. After the interview, you then send a transcript of the interview to the club and they basically edit it. You know, they basically cut out anything interesting, any emotion, any side note, any anecdote that they think could endanger the club, but really it just makes for an incredibly generic reading for everyone. And uh, most of the time, in my experience, the player isn't even involved in that. It's not like the player says, cut that. It, it's the club basically line editing the interview. And the reason why the Neuer interviews caused such a stir at the club, in my opinion, is because those interviews were not organized through Bayern Munich. You know, Neuer basically called up Rafa Honigstein uh, with The Athletic and uh, some colleagues at Süddeutsche Zeitung, both, by the way, very prestigious newspapers, you know, he could have gone to Bild, the, the big German tabloid that always is sensationalist, but also incredibly well-informed in German football, but he didn't. He went to these kind of highbrow papers and this really, you know, turned a sour taste into the, the mouths of the Bayern bosses, including Hasan Salihamidzic, the sporting director, and of course, Oliver Kahn, the new um, guy at the top, and Julian Nagelsmann, who has now made it a question of open debate if Neuer will be captain when he's back. Everyone knows that Nagelsmann is very close to Joshua Kimmich. And so there are all these, in Germany, we call them Nebenschauplätze. Basically, there are all these like side debates in the literal sense, these other pitches, other fields where football is being played apart from Allianz Arena. And by football, in the metaphorical sense, I mean, you know, where there are other fights going on. And then... Of course, a 3-0 win against Bochum sounds good. And there was a beautiful choreography before the game because those, you know, the supporters have had a strong friendship for many decades now. But because of the expectations at Bayern, a 3-0 win when the quality of football isn't that good was not enough to kind of quiet the murmurs and the bad mood. And uh, so going into this very important week of, of the club traveling to Paris to play PSG, there seems to be a lot of at stake and um, a lot of eyes turned towards Nagelsmann and his club and uh, and his team. 
Interesting. I would have expected that sort of feeling after a string of poor results, which, which as I mentioned a moment ago, was what they had opening up uh, the year of 2023. But, you know, the last two league wins as well as a win in the Cup, I would have felt that that would have taken a little bit of <laughs> steam or taken the edge off of this whole Neuer interview gate. But I, I take your point. I think I think the way things go in Paris on Tuesday, as well as you know, in, in the return leg, is basically going to be what people remember about this season. I mean, Bayern. I still think that they are the odds-on favorite for this Bundesliga title. It's closer than it has been, but I do trust them to get it done. However, if they go down in this uh, this big game in Paris on Tuesday, as well as the in, or in the return leg in in Munich. I feel like this could be a season where things really get away from them fast. And I feel like it's, I don't know, maybe maybe a season of unexpected transition for Bayern. I think that, that this was all sort of set up to be the, the sort of year where you get the full flower of a new era at the club. And maybe maybe they're going to have to sort of work some things out if if the success isn't there like it has been in recent years. Yeah, and I mean, my view from being in Munich is that already the success is not there. Of course, they're top of the table, but you know they're being trailed by Union Berlin and Dortmund, and that's not where Bayern sees itself. You know, competing with those teams, Bayern, although they, you know, perhaps are too smart to say it, they see themselves as basically bagging the Bundesliga every year and competing in Europe. And when you have the longtime best goalkeeper in the world, basically for lack of a better word, whining publicly. And last year, the one of the best, well, probably the best number nine striker of the past decade left the club and Thomas Müller is not getting any younger. Then, like you said, there's a big transition on the horizon. And because of the Premier League and how they've progressed financially, I don't see how Bayern is going to be able to afford that transition. Of course, they have that access of very gifted players who are, between 25 and 28, you know, around Leon Goretzka and Kimmich and Gnabry. But, you know, are those players ready yet to completely carry the club and the team the way that the past generation did? Of course, that also included Hummels and Boateng. Um, if we're looking back towards 2013, um, the Heinkes treble that was won at the time, uh, the Champions League title against Dortmund. And right now, you know, they basically appease the fans a bit with a very spectacular Cancelo deal but his price tag in the summer would be 70 million euros and I don't see how Bayern is going to have that cash if if you know that's a big if if they go out against um, PSG in the Champions League round of 16. How do you view this um, this upcoming game against PSG? I mean PSG are, are, they lost on the weekend but they are who they are. They have all the players that uh, you sort of associate with that club. They have the sort of incredibly formidable front line. And, you know, I mentioned a moment ago that Bayern were, you know, more solid in defense against Bochum than they had been in Wolfsburg. But PSG is a different, different caliber. Yeah, I think when I saw this tie and thought about it after the World Cup, where PSG's players excelled and came back full of confidence and Bayern Munich's players very much didn't. I thought this would be a clear, decisive victory for PSG. Something comfortable, you know, like 2-1 and 2-0 or something in both matches. But now that Kylian Mbappé looks unlikely to be fit for the first game, 
I think that has changed a little bit. And also with Bayern, you know, with their recent return to form and return to, more importantly, getting the results they need, you know, that bodes well for a knockout stage competition. The thing is that I think Bayern has a huge advantage in having the second game in early March be a home game in Munich. I think that will really help Bayern. And having been at Bayern Stadium, which, you know, is often mocked by other German fans as kind of an opera style support, similar to the Bernabeu in, in Spain, where the supporters are very demanding and can be very quiet if they're not treated with beautiful football. In Europe, that's different. For these big games, the the fans really do show up and can can really carry the team if the team goes down. But for me, this tie reminds me a lot of a few years ago, um, I think it was 2019, the season that ended in the pandemic. No, no, maybe even a year earlier, but there was a knockout game against Liverpool. And this game in the match in Munich, uh, Sadio Mane basically dissected Bayern Munich. And it was humiliating for Bayern, probably not for any other team. Any other team would have been like, oh, it's fine to lose against Liverpool. You know, they're Liverpool. But Bayern has this pride, you know, the Mia San Mia, we are who we are, that they always see themselves competing with the very top teams. And I think this is a similar moment where it's kind of like looking in the mirror. What is this team made of? What are the players made of? Is the coach able to put on a brave performance and an attacking performance? You know, in the Bundesliga, he's played with Müller and Musiala in the starting lineup in the last few games, which at least in the first half of the season, I didn't think would be a possibility, but it's worked out very well. And I think the players that we see being lined up by Nagelsmann in this game, that will really truly be his first 11. And it will also be interesting to see, you know, who does he play in midfield? Who does he play on the wings? Who are his main guys? And yeah, I, I, I mean, I can't wait for this game. And I think everyone in Germany and possibly Europe feels the same way. Yeah, yeah, going to be a corker, I think. Okay, let's leave Bayern behind and let's talk about one of the two teams chasing them most closely. That is Borussia Dortmund. Their task was a little bit tougher than Bayern's on match day 20. It involved a trip away to the Weserstadion to face Werder Bremen. It was tougher during the course of the game, I think. The Schwarzgeblen were the better side through most of it, but they didn't really get a goal until... Jamie Bino-Gittens scored after about a minute on the pitch. He replaced, oddly enough, Bayfabe's recent super sub, Gio Reyna, goal scorer, who had been handed a start this time. And then, you know, Julian Brandt added what I thought was just a spectacular goal with five minutes from time to seal this win. Dortmund, them and Union are basically the form sides in the Bundesliga. They just keep winning and winning and winning at the moment. How do you view this Dortmund side in terms of kind of answering a lot of the a lot of the issues that people throw in their face about consistency, about a degree of defensive stability? They're really playing well right now. Say I'm positively surprised. I didn't expect um, this level of consistency, like you said, from them coming into the second half of the season, or you know the post-World Cup part of the season. And I think the key here is that um, Sebastian Alea and Royce are back and part of the team and it takes the pressure off the young guys and also, of course, adds to competition up front. You know, for, for a lot, much of the first part of the season, for the striker position, which for years was filled by Erling Haaland, you had two guys competing, one 
was a 17 slash 18 year old. And the other was a last minute emergency signing from Cologne, who probably couldn't believe his luck that he was suddenly a Champions League striker in, in Anthony Modest and Yusufa Mukuku. And that really showed, you know, they really struggled. Of course, Mukuku had beautiful form before the World Cup. And that was wonderful to see. But you can't have the main goal scorer of a Bundesliga title contender be a kid that young. It's just too much pressure. And and now that Alea, you know, all eyes are on Alea's return and on Royce's return after yet another injury, it means that players like Jamie Bino-Gittens can just come on and everyone's like, oh yeah, he plays here too. That's nice. And, and he scores. And Gio Reyna, of course, in, in America was in the press and the tabloids on social media a lot because of his, you know, dispute with Greg Berhalter, the, the American national team coach. But in Germany, he's just another young Dortmund whiz kid who, you know, no one really pays that much attention to at the moment, um, despite his recent performances. And I think Tiasic, the coach, said this after the game against Bremen that suddenly the bench was performing. And, you know, that's forced Daniel Malen onto the substitute bench. He has not yet scored a goal in this Bundesliga season. And yet he was a starter at the beginning of 2023 just because no one else was doing well either. And Adeyemi is suddenly playing like the Adeyemi that Dortmund wanted to sign. And it's just a lot of things are coming together. And then you have Julian Brandt who's kind of like the attacking version of Jude Bellingham and is playing beautifully and like a number 10 playmaker and efficient in front of goals. So it's just right now, the the level of competition in Dortmund's squad for the starting 11 and the performance of the starting 11 is incredible. And I look forward to seeing how they perform against Chelsea. I do too. And I was just going to ask you about that. <laughs> I think those of us who, who keep at least something of an eye on the Premier League, know that Chelsea have had, you know, a really weird season. I mean, I guess normal for them in, in that they've spent a zillion dollars on a zillion players, but like kind of an indifferent season in terms of form. I think anytime a Bundesliga side plays against a Premier League side, especially a, one that, with the profile of Chelsea, it's viewed as something of a, of a measuring stick. But, you know, if Dortmund are in great form right now, they're at home in front of, you know, the yellow wall. They should beat Chelsea, right? Yeah, they should, but it's Dortmund. <laughs> and they are very good at messing up at important moments in time. Yeah. Dortmund often struggles against English teams, you know, even when on paper they're better. Like a few years ago against Tottenham, when Harry Kane and Son maybe had two or three opportunities in the whole game. And it was like Dortmund had like 13 shots on target and then Tottenham won 2-0. That's the kind of Dortmund that you often see in these important games. And yeah, I, I think in Europe, Dortmund is a Wundertüter, as we say in Germany. You know, it's it's like a, you know, full of surprises. Um, you, you don't know what you're going to get. Like a box of chocolates. Like a box of chocolate. You never know what you're going to get. Exactly. And so I, I would hesitate to predict a home win against Chelsea. But let's put it this way. I do think they will score. Nice, nice. Well, we'll hold you to it some, somehow. I don't, I don't know exactly how. Okay. Among the other sides chasing Bayern include the second place team in the league, Union Berlin. They were 2-1 winners in Leipzig. Yeah, this is, this is getting pretty wild. This is a side that basically I don't 
care if they dig themselves a small hole. I don't care if, you know, they don't play with a lot of uh, intensity for half of the game. Somehow, Union have it in them to come back and get a result week in and week out. What is going on? Do you have an explanation for this? Because a lot of times we talk about Union and their great support, the fact that, you know, this is a, a club that, that has a lot of passion that, at home, blah, blah, blah. This wasn't that. This is them going away to Leipzig and, you know, snatching a win away from a side that, you know, has designs on being where Union are. Yeah, totally. And I think this is also a turning point for the players. You saw it in their eyes and in their confidence and what they said after the game, not yet in the content of their words, but the players, you know, they're competitors, they're professional athletes. And we're at the point where they got to be thinking, let's get it. You know, no matter what the coach says, it reminds me of early day Jurgen Klopp at Dortmund when he was like, when journalists were relentless asking him for months, every press conference, do you want to win the German championship? And he was like, no, let's not talk about this. And was Fischer until this game was like, we want to avoid relegation. We want to get 40 points. Well, now they've crossed that boundary and, you know, congratulations to, <laughs> you know, staying in the league when you're in Berlin. 42 points. <laughs> but the players, yeah, in the winter transfer window, the how they're able to attract Laiduni, a Tunisian player who did very well at the World Cup and how Union Berlin is suddenly in the same sentence as Isco and Real Madrid just shows how far they've come. And, you know, kudos to Oliver Runat, the sporting director, who seems to have deep, deep pockets, never-ending pockets of of gems from obscure clubs and obscure leagues and and just, you know, pulls in these misfits and somehow makes a strong team. And by the way, one of their strongest players, Riasson, left for Dortmund and no one seems to notice, which is incredible. So for me, it is hard to to answer the question that you asked about how they're so good. I mean, the obvious answer would be efficiency. If you look at the statistics, if you're a data person, you know, they every shot on goal goes in pretty much. And at the back, they're just very, very secure, no matter who plays at the back, on, especially on the wing-back positions where there's always a lot of changes, it somehow works. But I think another key is the unpredictability because they don't have a star. I mean, let's look at the squad, you know, even if they make the top four at the end of the season, you would expect Europe and and the top teams, you know, the richest clubs in, in Germany to be knocking on their door and buying players. But who in this squad is good enough to play for a team like you know, like Bayern Munich or the top four or six clubs in England. I, I, I can't really think of someone. So it's it's amazing that together, collectively, they really make each other strong enough to be up there and beat Leipzig away. You know, with all the Champions League experience and national team players and coaching quality that Leipzig has, that just blows my mind. And I think it's the English saying of, you know, the, the sum is greater than, than the individual parts. And that's really Union Berlin. Yeah, yeah. They play with a plan. They buy with a plan. It's amazing what they've been able to do. And maybe we should break in just for a moment, just to pump the brakes for a second, at least in this particular game. There was 
Well, if you look at Marco Rosa, <laughs> not a little, but a lot of consternation following this game about a, a VAR decision, which canceled out a goal that would have put Leipzig level in this game. Uh, you mentioned Laiduni a moment ago. He was a player. How you judge his action kind of is the decisive factor in whether that goal should have been ruled offside or not. How did you see that decision? And, you know, is it something that you feel like is is worth dwelling on? I mean, I, I think my answer is somewhat different for both of those questions that you just asked. I'm with Marco Rosa on the decision. I do think it was a controlled, deliberate touching of the ball and therefore a defensive action that lifts the offside and would make Timo Werner onside in scoring the goal. Because I do think a player of Laiduni's quality, you know, a World Cup player, a Bundesliga player, a player whose literal job it is to kick the ball and who does this, like Marco Rosa said, for hours and hours a day in training, you know, you would expect someone like that to and, and, and there are videos and photos of it. And he does turn around. He sees the ball with his eyes. He controls it with the back of his foot. He doesn't quite get a great touch on it, but that's on him. You know, that's that's not on, oh, this was uncontrolled. It, it's almost like the referee is covering for Laiduni here. And it's, it's, it was bizarre, but I don't think that's the reason Leipzig lost. And I think... Marco Rosa sees that as well. You know, he was very frustrated and saying Union did well. And he wasn't pinning the defeat on this scene. He was mainly, he's kind of in a private war against Bundesliga refereeing. <laughs> and even before the game on Sky, the, the German Bundesliga rights holders, he was asked about his yellow card record. And he's had three yellow cards this season. And unlike the players, for the coach, your track kind of runs out at four yellow cards. So if he gets another yellow card during a match, he's banned for a game. And he was kind of saying that that's stupid and, you know, saying that the way that the referees treat the coaches has gone too far. And I think he's just frustrated about a lot of things. This scene kind of brought his frustration to the surface again. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, I, I think in that we still have another... 14 games. I think his chances of sitting one out before the end of the season are pretty good. Yep. All right. Let's take a break and uh, come back and talk about the rest of Match Day 20. Okay. Here comes part two of Talking Foosball Direct. I'm Matt Herman here with Marie Schulte-Balkum. We're going to start things off with, I guess, the team who was always a bit on the fringe of the title conversation, but, you know, seemed to be included by, by quite a few observers. That's Eintracht Frankfurt. They, you know, much like Leipzig, they have a week before they get into Champions League action. And, you know, they saw their, I don't know, I guess their chances of qualifying for that tournament get a little slimmer after a 3-0 loss in Cologne. Billy Goats and Eagles were pretty even in the first half. Not a lot of chances before the home side were able to find an edge. Timo Hubers got things started. Elias Schiri struck twice in the final 20. He sealed the deal. This is a really big win, I think, for, for FC. It puts him back in like touching distance of the top half. 
How do you see this one, Marie? I have to say, like, I went out to walk my dog and missed the first two goals and was sort of like, huh, Cologne. Oh, okay. I kind of had this game pegged for an upset, i got to say. I almost bet money on it Friday and Thursday, but then I was like, do not lose money on sports bets. Don't do it. But just because Cologne has had a wonderful start to 2023 and is full of confidence, was very good at scoring goals. And Frankfurt, I thought there would be a little bit of hubris because they also have had a very good start to the year. But, you know, they're already thinking about the Champions League and the European games coming up. They had the German Cup two weeks ago. You know, everyone's eyes are on Randall Kolomani and everyone's talking about what will these emerging stars do in the summer? Where will they go? Because unlike Union Berlin, where we ju- where I just said, it's the unity that makes them strong. At Frankfurt, it, you know, it's very much some of the individualists who stick out and are catching the eye of, of foreign European clubs. And so I thought the stage was set, um, also with Carnival coming up, which sounds trivial, but in Cologne is always a huge deal and can really give the stadium, the fans and the players wings. And and it happened, but I expected maybe a 1-0 or a 2-1, not a 3-0 thrashing. It didn't look like a thrashing, of course, you know, it was the Skiri goals were scored very late, but... I would say this was a deserved win. And um, that's impressive because Frankfurt didn't play poorly. They played adequately and Cologne was just better. And yeah, you said that, you know, that now they're secure in, in mid-table. I think that that will be as far as Cologne goes. I don't see them competing for European spaces this year just because there are other teams that are just so, so strong this year. This is such a strong Bundesliga season. But, you know... Skiri is an amazing player, you know, kind of a deep-lying playmaker, very physical, good at tackling, good at shooting. There's kind of nothing he can't do. And I'm I'm happy for him to be on the score sheet twice and, you know, kind of make this game his own. Yeah, I think this is, is going to really prove to be the season where, you know, I, I think people who, who are sort of Cologne fans or, you know, fans of a certain type of midfielder are already well aware of Elias Kierdy, but this season he's sort of becoming a bit of a Bundesliga household name, and that's pretty cool for him. Okay, yeah, let's move on and talk about other action in the league. I guess most of what we're going to be talking about is stuff that has to do with the Abstiegskampf. I want to start with uh, a, a small wrinkle, at least, for your team, Schalke 04. They were nil-nil finishers against Wolfsburg. They are slowly putting together a series of draws, largely scoreless draws, but they are picking up points again, and they are at least playing decent football at times. In in some cases, outplaying their opponents, if not getting the three points that might bring them. What is your take on them? I think you're right that this is a very strong Bundesliga season, not only at the top, and that there's like a pretty big traffic jam, but there isn't a terrible team this season in the way that there often has been a team that's just hopeless, especially that a lot of those, the teams toward the bottom of the table have made moves that have paid off. Whether you look at Bochum or Schalke in recent weeks, where do you see them going for the rest of the season? And is there still hope in the land of the Royal Blues? (laughs) Yeah, it's tricky. You know, I think those games, um, this was the third nil nil draw that Schalke has done in a row. But even before that, of course, against Leipzig, where they lost 6-1, and, and that's kind of an outlier. They were completely 
outplayed in that game. But the game before that, Frankfurt won 3-0 and that was not a deserved win. And I know that sounds insane with the scoreline, but in that game, Schalke had, I think, twice or three times as many shots and Kevin Trapp very much kept Frankfurt in the game. And overall, I think the coach change that was instigated in the fall is starting to bear fruits because they just play way more organized football and basically some of the stronger footballers in the team like uh, Kral or Kraus, Kraus of course who's on loan from Leipzig they are performing under Thomas Reis who was at Bochum and did great work there previously and that's kind of lifting up other players and it's true what you said they brought in reinforcements and that will take time because they brought in seven new guys this winter and five of them are pretty much starters straight away, which is incredible. And one player who's really caught my eye is Uronen, the Scandinavian, I believe he's Finnish, wingback. He's very reliable. He goes forward. He's fast. The way he plays reminds me a little bit of John Joe Kenny's time at Schalke. You know, a very solid Bundesliga player who has the potential to become a fan favorite probably won't play at a much higher level, but could this level for, for years to come. And it's just, you know, that was good work. That was good work. They should have signed that type of quality in the summer. They missed that opportunity for financial reasons. But will it be enough? Is there hope? I think the players have hope and the fans have hope, but the league table speaks another language and is not really reflecting that. So... They have a huge goal-scoring problem. And if you don't score goals, you don't win matches. And unless that changes, I think they're going to be last at the end of the season. Hmm. Yeah. Let's move on and talk about uh, Hertha's 4-1 win over Borussia Mönchengladbach. This one looked like it was maybe going to be another troubling day at the office for Hertha after uh, Gladbach took the lead midway through the first half. But it didn't turn out that way at all. Hertha came back, ended up winning 4-1. There was a lot of head-scratching around the time of Freddy Bobic's dismissal from his sporting director or, you know, Geschäftsführer Sport or whatever job a few weeks ago. The press conference, the folks in charge these days, which is, uh, you know, Kai Bernstein, the president, and, and you know, the new group that he brought in, kept saying stuff about, we want to go the, the, the Hertha way. We want more, more Hertha... DNA in this team. And there was a little bit of raised eyebrows or a little bit of face palming uh, among the the, the less optimistic uh, observers. And this was an interesting answer to those critiques in that this was basically a huge coming out party for Hertha's, you know, homegrown guys. Yeah, the first goal was scored by uh, Jessica Ngankam. The second, an absolute screamer from Martin Dardai. You had a goal early in injury time from Derry Scherhunt. All three of those guys are, are Berlin born and bred, and at least two of them have spent many, many years in the Hertha Academy. Doni Lukabakia put a little bit of a, you know, sort of garbage time penalty goal on to make it four. You mentioned the atmosphere at Cologne helping that team push forward. The atmosphere at the Olympiastadion was quite, quite good. Better than you would have expected for a team on a terrible four-game losing skid. What did you see in this game that made you think either Hertha have a chance to get out or 
that this might not be all that much to shout about. No, I mean, everything that you said, and by the way, I just realized you are probably the Geschäftsführersport of the Talking Fußball podcast, like for <laughs> Freddy Bobic was at Hertha. Um, but I think the homegrown talent piece is essential. And honestly, it's worth mentioning because everyone is kind of praising them to the heavens at the moment. But Union Berlin has a terrible track record at that. They're very good at buying players and then selling them to England, but they're not good at building homegrown talent. And that's shocking given that Berlin is such a diverse, big city with a big footballing tradition. And all those players over the decades have kind of come through Hertha's ranks. You know, the last big generation of talents was Ebert, the Boateng brothers, that kind of crew of players. And even a few years ago, this new generation came through with Toronariga and, and other classmates. Maxi Mittelstedt was also in the academy and they won one of the under-19 German championships. And the work that's being done seems to be very successful. There are the Dadai brothers, the sons of Pai Dadai, also a Hertha legend and former coach, who was at the stadium. They kept showing him, you know, in the ranks at, you know, in, in the stadium crowd at, at this game, which I thought was quite funny, given that you were talking about Hertha DNA. So, yeah, I think the academy coming through is a positive sign. And that's something that can really help a club in terms of connecting with the supporters, connecting with the city. But also, these players are fresh. They don't feel any financial pressure to stay in the league. They're just happy to play in the Bundesliga. And that's starting to show. And this was a huge win. And it was a deserved win. And Gladbach is not what we call Aufbaugegner. You know, this isn't a, a team that just comes to town to be thrashed. This is a strong team. And this was a big win for Hertha. And you saw the images after the final whistle. As you said, the fan support was very significant at this game and the players and the fans were celebrating together. And yeah, I think on another note, you have to look at Gladbach and they are, it's too much to say this, but they're a club in crisis at the moment. I saw them a few weeks ago in Augsburg and it was a terrible performance and Augsburg deservedly won and they're just not getting the results they need and it's it's incredible given the talent that they have in midfield and attack and the consistency that they have at the back from that that we saw before Christmas so to be determined and to be continued what goes on at Gladbach but I think they're flying under the radar a little bit at the moment because there are so many exciting teams that are doing well and worth looking at but I think we, we need to be a little worried about Gladbach at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I've been worried about uh, Gladbach. I, I feel as though even if they are able to sort of keep themselves in that kind of anonymous, you know, mid-table area, which is where they are, they have just fallen off the face so much of where they have been over much of the past decade. It's got to be pretty disappointing for the fans over there. Let's talk a little bit about some of the consequences of, you know, Schalke picking up one point and Hertha picking up three points because a lot of the teams also down toward the end of the table that those teams find themselves didn't pick up any points. I mean, Bochum were losers, as we mentioned earlier. Stuttgart were losers in the Schwaben-Baden derby. 2-1 win for Freiburg. Mainz defeated Augsburg. That was a 3-1 win at home for Mainz. And the falling fast Hoffenheim, now down in 14th place within uh, two points 
just two points clear of the uh, relegation playoff spot. They were 3-1 losers at home to Leverkusen in Pellegrino Matarazzo's debut as coach for them. What do you see in any of those results? Do you see Stuttgart, Augsburg, and uh, Hoffenheim with trouble ahead? Or do you see each of them with significantly better chances than the likes of Hertha, Stuttgart, and Schalke? Oof, it's tough because, of course, someone has to come 18th and 17th and 16th. And all of those clubs sound too good or too big to land there, but that's the rules of the game. And yeah, we can say Bochum and Schalke might be lost. Um, That's definitely what a lot of people said at the beginning of the season because both of them did not start well into this season. But Bochum is performing extremely well at home under the new coach. Schalke has suddenly turned a page in its defense and is not conceding goals anymore. Stuttgart seems too big a club to go down, and including the talent on their roster with players like Mavropanos and Bonasosa and Girasi, who unfortunately is injured. But someone, you know, has to be in those spots. Augsburg is doing well as well. You know, they have a very exciting attack with Demirovic and Berisha and Andre Hahn and Anna Maya and Anna Engels, the winter signing, has really lifted the team, I think, in terms of the playing style. He's a fantastic talent. And I don't think anyone expected him to really perform so well so early on, but he he has. And I think Enrico Maaßen is a coach worth keeping an eye on. You know, he's done good, good things with that squad. And so, you know, it beckons the question, you know, who who's gonna end up in those spots? We talked about Hertha always a candidate for scandal or for for slips, but now they seem to, you know, have turned the page with their win this weekend. I'm too scared to really say who will go down. Hoffenheim, I forgot to mention, because for them, in in their case, I just never thought that they would be this poor because it's a very peaceful place to work. Uh, No one really cares that much about them in the media. And they have, again talent on their squad. I think Matarazzo is a is a good coach who will get something out of this team. Oof. So if I had to say which teams are gonna be 16th to 18th now, you know, famous last words, but in no particular order, I think it's going to be Schalke, Bochum, and Stuttgart. All right. That is all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul. Really nice to have you back on the show, Marie. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure to be on for my first episode in 2023. I say first with a lot of enthusiasm, as does my dog, um, who's kind of barking in the background now and he's getting a bit impatient with me. But what a season we're having so far. You know, a lot more exciting than we have had in previous years. And it's been fun. And I look forward to following the league and the podcast as the season continues. Hell yeah. We'll be seeing you soon. <laughs> you can find her on Twitter at Marie Shubo. If you want to contact me over there, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. This some next to y'all. 